0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Young Turks, The Daily Show, Tom Hartman, Politico, The Colbert Report, Rachel Maddow, and Countdown.
1: First quote is a series of concerned citizens. Here's one woman in Pennsylvania.
2: I don't want this country turning into Russia. Here's that
1: same woman again a little bit later on Fox News.
2: I don't want my children coming to me and asking me, Mom, why do we have to wait in line for toilet paper?
1: (laughs) Here's here's a sign we saw being waved about on cable news. Down the chute, Granny. Those sentiments were all expressed in fervent, genuine, grassroots opposition to what?
3: Um, healthcare reform.
1: Right, healthcare reform. <laughs> Angry mobs who were carrying video cameras instead of pitchforks, but video cameras do hurt mm-hmm. when you're poked with them. <laughs> they showed up en masse to scream at their elected representatives at town halls all over the country. Their complaint the government wants to give them healthcare. <laughs> But they don't want anybody giving them health care. Their motto, give me liberty and give me death. (laughs) Speaking of death, a lot of these protesters were upset about President Obama's famous death panels. They'll be used to decide whether senior citizens get to live. Now, actually, Peter, I had those up in my basement. Really? They were really good, yeah. The death panels. Yeah. <laughs> then I replaced them so with some, nice, look? With some nice oak. Now, these death panels <laughs> are, of course. A paranoid delusion, but that does not mean they're not a good idea. (laughs) Americans love to watch panels sitting on judgment on innocent, helpless people. Imagine Simon Cowell saying, Honestly, you're so wrinkled and unattractive, and really, you have no future. It'll be on the new reality show, So You Think You Can Live.
4: Congressman, who is the longest-serving congressman in the United States uh, uh, House of Representatives in the United States Congress right now, uh, and he's been around a while. So they're going to ask him, "Hey, does do the, do these town halls and this kind of atmosphere remind you of anything?" And he says something. What one of our listeners again sent in to me. Yeah, it reminds me of something. Here's what it reminds me of. Uh orchestrated town halls like this uh in the in your career at at any
2: time, does this remind you of the sixties at all? Well the last time I had to confront something like this was when I voted for the civil rights bill and my opponent voted against it. At that time uh we had a lot of Ku Klux Klan folks and white supremacists and, and folks in white sheets and other things running around causing trouble.
4: Yeah, you know, and until one of our listeners had sent in that note to me, I, I had not made that connection. And I wish I had their name in front of me here. I don't. But I was like, oh, that's why it looks familiar. Those red faced guys yelling at the top of their lungs. In that case, it was little children trying to go to school, eh, or somebody trying to cross a bridge, or somebody trying to have a walk. They were so angry at the time. Oh always the same anger and the underlying issue is always the same it's about healthcare it ain't about healthcare it's always about they don't want their world to change they're so deathly afraid of change
5: a long time coming but i know a change gonna come oh yes it will
6: We've been dealing all week with healthcare tonight, no exception, because it is dividing this country right now, right down the middle. You've heard the arguments. One of them summed up pretty uh, concisely, succinctly by none other than Glenn Beck america already
3: has the best health care in the world we do take care of our sick you're about to lose the best health care system in the world what does it mean for the rest of the world if we lose our position as the as the innovator as having the best health care in the country
6: in the world the argument is don't fix it if it's already awesome <laughs> But again, that's just one side of the debate. What about all those personal anecdotes about our healthcare system that are less than stellar? Like what happened to this poor guy.
3: I'm just at home and I'm uh, recovering from some, uh, some surgery uh, that was uh, scheduled and then went horribly awry. It was one of the most uh, eye-opening experiences of my life um, to... Um, Uh, um, receive health care in the United States. This is uh, one of the hospitals where the president of GE is going. If they don't care about the president of GE, you really think they care about, you know, schlubs that are just average working stiffs?
6: If only... If only that poor, schlubby, working stiff in the video had been getting the kind of health care Glenn Beck was raving about. (laughs) You know what? That's probably not fair. He uh, was obviously on meds at that time. He was hurting, just recovering from, uh, I believe it was hemorrhoid surgery. Uh, That's actually true, I I think, or or some type of anal procedure. But um, I'm sure once uh, Mr. Beck got back to work, it was uh, more clear-headed. He remembered our healthcare system's intrinsic awesomeness.
3: No matter how much the healthcare system would try to keep me down, I'm back. A personal voyage through the nightmare that is our healthcare system. We seem to be Regina, a, a, a society or a system now in healthcare that is just trying to shove the patients out that door as fast as they can. Getting well in this country can actually almost kill you. <laughs>
6: So, in just 16 months, during which Glenn Beck moved from CNN to Fox, you can chart the incredible progress of healthcare in this country.
3: Personal voyage through the nightmare that is our healthcare system. You're
6: about to lose the best healthcare system in the world. I'll tell you what really doesn't speak well of our healthcare system that in those 16 months, the hole that they stitched up in Glenn Beck's ass <laughs> hasn't healed enough for him to stop talking out of it.
7: Sarah Palin coming out and saying that uh, her baby with Down syndrome is going to have to face a death panel. This is a very powerful meme. It's a simple narrative. It's a simple story. It's one that, um, that that is very very believable because of its simplicity, and it is an absolute and utter lie. It's also founding, It's also following, and what she's doing is following, and what these what these deathers at these uh, town halls. And uh, with uh, a particular irony, by the way, one of them was, uh, and we'll tell you more about that uh, a little after the break, but uh, one of them was injured in a scuffle at one of these town halls. He injured his knee. He uh, is at the sitting at the local VA office now uh, with a can accepting donations for his uh, knee surgery because he doesn't have health insurance. This is a guy who is protesting against government health insurance. Uh, More about that in a little bit. Frank Schaefer, however, is with us. FrankSchafer.net, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, is the website. He's the author of Crazy for God, How I Grew Up as One of the Elect, Helped Found the Religious Right, and Lived to Take All or Almost All of It Back. And Frank, uh, first of all, welcome to the program.
8: Hey, thanks for having me on. Um,
7: By way of introducing you to our listeners, you are arguably the guy who, or certainly one of the guys, you and your father, by and large, who founded back in the day the aggressive, in-your-face uh, abortion clinic uh, tactics that have now many of the same people and the same mailing lists that you guys developed are now being used for what I refer to as the deathers, as the guys who who are showing up at these town hall council, uh, these town hall meetings, and shouting down members of Congress. Do I have that right?
8: You yeah, have absolutely right. You mentioned the book Crazy For God, and in that book I tell a story about growing up as the son of this fundamentalist missionary, Francis Schaeffer, who when I was a kid was living in Switzerland, and there's a trajectory from there until... He is really the founder of the religious right, along with me and Dr. Sievert Koop, who then becomes the Surgeon General for the Reagan administration. And in that story, essentially wrapped in with our own family, is the story of the rise of the religious right, the, the melding of the religious right in the Republican Party. And then, you know, if you want to fast forward to the present, the story that really is behind and makes understandable this insane movement to link... Uh, reform in health of all things to a widespread mandatory euthanasia program and or killing of of children and infanticide the kind of thing sarah palin is fantasizing about and lying about right. and really all this has roots in the pro-life movement that my dad and dr coop and i started in terms of the evangelical part of it in the early nineteen seventies with our film series whatever happened to the human race that we took around the country and by the time we had launched that project, we were involved with people like Dick Armey, Jack Kemp, Ronald Reagan, the Bush family, and others, all of which I talk about in the book. And the upshot was is that the, the religious right, Christianity as it became known in this country after that period in, in the in the widest sense of the use of the word, and the Republican Party all became synonymous. And so – you know, whether it's gay bashing or whether it's saying that Obama doesn't have a birth certificate or whether it's saying that Sarah Palin's child will be killed because of the health care reform. All of this is one piece of a pattern of a reaction to what the evangelical movement regarded as the secularization of the country tied in with heavy racist overtones of of white people about my age, I'm 57, who just can't see how we can have a black president, let alone a progressive black president. You mix all this together, and essentially what people like Dick Armey and these other lobbyists are doing is using the machinery we built to close abortion clinics and Techniques we use to close abortion clinics, and now they're turning it against the health care reform. And of course, you know, from my point of view, it's all deja vu because we did this before. And, you know, the cautionary note I would sound here is that having been down this path once and regretted it, as I talk about in the book. You know, what we launched wound up with four abortion providers being murdered, the latest being Dr. Tiller. Uh, and if you want to extend that further, three policemen in Pittsburgh being gunned down by some Looney Tune who thought they were going to take away his guns, which is what the NRA has been telling people would happen after Obama was elected. Right. You know, touch it where you will. I'm quite worried, actually. I think we're, we're coming into a time of extreme reaction to the Obama administration, and this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh,
7: we're talking with Frank. Frank Schaefer, one of the founders of the uh, in your face uh, pro life movement, and, and, uh, and uh, whose own shock troops, is, whose own techniques are being used, you, you write to uh, Frank Schaefer about how you knew Dick Army uh, right. quite well. And Dick Army's uh, Freedom Works is, uh, has got several front groups who are basically uh, behind they were behind starting the teabag thing, which I, in my opinion, I mean, everybody says, "Oh, it was a failure." Uh, and they were ridiculed. I don't think so at all. I think that was a dress rehearsal for this. I think that they right. were lining up who's reliable, who's not, what are our mailing lists, How do we get in touch with these people? Uh, let's get cell phone numbers, let's get clean email, in, email uh, addresses, things like that. Uh, do a reality check with me on this and tell me what you know about Dick Army.
8: Well, you know, Dick Armey your typical low-taxes, anti-government congressman who was in Congress for 18 years. His big concern was to put forward Jack Kemp's ideas about economics and, and Reaganomics and so forth and so on. But, you know, I think he's typical of one of these white uh, Republicans, slightly older leaders. Newt Gingrich is another. And, you know, to paraphrase Bart Simpson, I, I just think the election broke their brains. I really yeah. believe it. I mean, yeah. they've gone on. The
7: election on of Obama, you mean?
8: Yeah, the election of Obama just broke their brains. They just can't see it. They've gone off. Look, you can disagree with a Dick Army or Newt Gingrich on economics. You can disagree about a lot of things. But the sort of thing they're saying now, for instance, that Judge Sotomayor is a racist or that – uh, Obama wants health care to turn into a euthanasia program, or lending their good names to the kind of insanity that a Sarah Palin is parroting, which you know a Dick Army or a Newt Gingrich twenty years ago never would have talked that way they they weren 't insane, you might have disagreed with them, but they weren 't crazy. I think when you mix the white reaction to Obama in with these aging Republican leaders who are fabricating this, uh, these whole-cloth lies, you know, whether it's uh, Obama not being an American or whether it's Sotomayor being a racist or whether it's death squads going out looking for Down syndrome kids. You know, we're, we're out in the twilight zone now, and this would all be a joke except for one factor. There are, there's, it's like playing Russian roulette. There are a certain number of Fruit Loops out there. Uh, what, what, these, what these leaders are doing, either either by omission, because they're not telling the truth when they hear these crazy lies, or by commission because they're part of the problem, is essentially leaving a loaded gun on the table, metaphorically speaking.
0: If you feel like you're just one travel mug away from total contentment, you need to check out the best of the left store. Between my cafe press and print fiction stores, I've got all the t-shirts, travel mugs, and tote bags you could possibly want to show your Best of Left pride. If it's a gift you're looking for, then go no farther than a podcast by mail subscription. It's a great way to introduce the show to someone who's not into the whole podcasting scene, but would love to hear it every week sent to them on a CD. Just go to the store tab at bestofleft.com.
5: we need to, to uh,
7: limit Medicare expenditures in order to do that, in order to reduce the deficit. That's the, the origin of this policy. This is the T4 policy of the Hitler, uh, of a Hitler policy in 1939, where he said certain, certain lives are not worth living. Certain people, we should not spend the money to keep them alive. Why do you continue to support a Nazi policy? as Obama has
1: expressly supported this policy, why are you supporting it? When you
2: ask me that question, I am going to revert to my ethnic heritage and ask to your question with a question. On what planet do you spend most of your time? You stand there with a picture of the president defaced to look like Hitler and compare the effort to increase health care to the Nazis, my answer to you is, as I said before, it is a tribute to the First Amendment that this kind of vile, contemptible nonsense is so freely propagated. <laughs> Ma'am, trying to have a conversation with you would be like trying to argue with a dining room table. I have no interest in doing it. This notion that something in this bill would require people who are elderly or sick uh, to be denied medical care and killed It's the single stupidest argument I have ever heard in all my years of politics. There is nothing remotely relevant to it. What have I said that put anybody down? Would you tell me, ma'am? Oh, Oh, yes, I did tell the woman standing there with a president looking like Hitler who compares us to the Nazis that uh, I thought she was out of her mind. I did put her down. If you want to be on her side, okay. But you say I'm putting, I'm not putting anyone down, and we're here discussing this. I object, frankly, the people who are putting people down are the people who who and laugh derisively rather than make rational arguments. That's putting people down.
9: The healthcare system. So do I. Walk it off. Please welcome Dr. Aaron Carroll. Hey, Dr. Carroll, thanks so much for coming on. All right. This is a complicated uh, uh, problem here, okay? Uh, you believe uh, that we should have government healthcare for everybody. Okay, so you want, you want us to be uh, Canada, you want us to be England or France or Belgium or Sweden. No, I. I you would... do because that's what they have. That's what they have, right? I want to. Is that to be what they American. have? Answer the question. They have different they ha- kinds of systems. Oh, they have. They don't have the American system. They come here to get fixed. Foreign leaders in other countries, they break. We fix them here.
10: Maybe some of the foreign leaders, but most of the people are quite happy to stay there. Because fact- they don't know any different. They've never been to America.
9: They've never dealt with a health insurance company that cares for them. <laughs>
10: Perhaps. I I, I would argue, however, that most people are very happy with their health insurance in other countries. In fact, far happier than they are people are here in the United States with their health care. Besides the fact, we wouldn't be turning into those other countries. We have a single-payer health care system in the United States right now. It's Medicare, and it covers all people over the age of 65. I think they'd take a fancy to that. That's fine for not people. American. That's
9: fine for old people. You know, they they're, they're, they don't have as much to lose if their health care isn't good. They they they're very little. No, seriously, let's talk turkey here. They got very little time left. I think therefore they probably value their
10: time even more, and therefore they have even perhaps more
9: to lose. But but listen, it, in, look, you go to like the, the government. There will be there will be there will be bureaucrats. Okay, between me and my doctor. You're in England, a, a woman in labor. There is a year-long backlog of doctors. If your water breaks, you call the doctor, you have to hold it for a year. And then someone down in London, some bureaucrat will say, yes, she's effaced, she's dilated. Then take her in. I know you're not a big fan of facts and books, Stephen, but that's absolutely not true. No, 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 no. no. That is a badge of honor, sir. I, I don't care is. what's true. I am telling you what people are afraid of.
10: They're absolutely not. And they,
9: while do I... you not watch... Uh, t- a television or listen to talk radio? That is what that is the scream du jour. And we're afraid of that. And that is not an accurate representation of America. We're not talking, talking about Paul. accurate. We're talking about how
10: I feel. Well, it's my job to actually discuss facts and figures and actual statistics. Oh, facts?
9: You want to talk facts? Yes. You want a single-payer system, don't I you? I do. Absolutely. That's dead. No one, not even Obama, not even Congress has proposed. Maybe Bernie Sanders, you know, the socialist has proposed it. But that's like saying, well, I mean, ultimately, I'd like us to riding pneumatic tubes we gave that up and went with the subway system
10: and i'm not a politician it's my job to tell you what's best for a healthcare system and time why is again, that best again, why should seen...
9: the government be paying my medical bills
10: because there's great evidence that every other country that does a single payer system pays far less than we do has better outcomes than we do and manages to cover everyone. On every metric, the they Congressional seem to do better.
9: Budget Office just said that the plan being proposed by Congress is going to cost more. Game set, match. Thank you for coming by. The plan. <laughs> The plan being proposed right now is
10: not a single payer plan, and that is the flaw of the fragmented way they're trying to fix healthcare right now. It may do some good in covering more people, it may lead to some better outcomes, but it's going to cost a lot of money. If we want the most efficient system that will cost less, cover everyone, and actually also lead to better outcomes, it's a single payer system.
9: Wouldn't it be far more efficient, wouldn't it be far more efficient for those of us who have health insurance to say, I don't care about the people who don't have health insurance? <laughs> Okay, because I got mine, Jack. Isn't that an efficient way to do it? No, then I'm not
10: spending any money. No, because that will lead to a very inefficient society. How? Uh, because if people can't aren't healthy, they can't work, and if people can't work, they can't pay taxes for all the things you like to do for all the rich people.
9: So we actually need everybody to be healthy. Taxes don't pay for my. My, my jet ski? Sure, they do, but they pay for your roads, and they pay for everything. I don't take my jet ski on roads. Listen to yourself. <laughs> You're not making any sense. I travel the East Coast on the intercoastal waterway. But way. how do you get your jet ski to the water? What? How do you get your jet ski to the water? I you have jump to bro- it over the land, you see? <laughs> <laughs> have you not? We got to watch different movies, my friend. So, what? No, we're oh, not done you yet. No, you no, know. Know. If you want to surrender, no. wanna surrender I we can right Come now. On. Because Obama's going to surrender, right? Obama's done. This is his Waterloo. No. It's my center. Senator, my senator from my proud state of South Carolina, Jim DeMint, says we're going to break him on this. This is where we break Obama. I
10: think they're absolutely going to try, and while I think mm-hmm. that this is a flawed path that they're actually traveling, I think that this is probably right where the administration thought they would be. This was never going to be easy, and at this point, they've gotten three different committees in the House to actually agree on the same bill. Ooh, they've a got... committee has
9: agreed on something. That's a big Things deal. Will happen now. That's
10: a big deal. Will they send it to? Will they have a quorum? Hopefully. The no. Clinton administration would have loved to have the committees agree on a bill. And when the Senate's getting close. I'll tell I you why it's not going to happen.
9: I will tell you why it's not going to happen, because he has told them he wants this voted on, uh, uh, you know, by August. He has given them his timetable. And once you give your enemy your timetable for withdrawal, well, they'll just wait you out. We learned that in Iraq.
11: Hi.
10: I'm not sure that we did, and I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I think that they know they have to get this done fast because uh, political capital only lasts so long, and the longer they wait, the more it's likely that this could be unpopular, and they would really want to get it done. But it's a 1,000-page bill,
9: okay? They've got to sell that to the American people. Who's going to... No one's going to read that in the summertime? That's not a beach novel.
10: You know, first of all, some of us actually do like reading, but moreover, I think a lot of bills... In fact, probably most bills are that long. That's the way bills work. The Why do they name would it different.
9: something like the Patriot Act that you can't vote against? Wouldn't that have
10: been better? Probably would have been more savvy, although we haven't seen the name of this bill yet. They may follow through and and do better than you think.
9: Well, if they. (laughs) If they do, please come back. We'll discuss it again. All right. Thank you
5: so much.
12: Ago, Democratic Congressman Frank Cradiville was hanged in effigy outside his congressional office in Maryland. The staged lynching, the really well tied noose and all, was gleefully staged by an anti health reform protester. Later that week, on August 1st, Democratic Congressman Lloyd Doggett of Texas held a town hall event at a grocery store in Austin to talk about health care reform. An anti-health reform protester there greeted him with a mock marble tombstone engraved with the congressman's name on it. Two days after that, on August 3rd, Democratic Congressman Brad Miller of North Carolina reported to the Capitol Hill police that he had received death threats over his support for health care reform. One anti-health reform protester called his D.C. office and told a staffer, quote, Miller could lose his life over this. The very next day, on August 4th, the idea of a Democratic congressman being killed because he supported health care reform became a punchline for Republican Congressman Todd Akin of Missouri.
3: Uh, different uh, people from Washington, D.C. have come back to their districts and have town hall meetings, and they almost got lynched.
2: And so, the people are so-
12: That same day, Democratic Senator Chris Dodd, who had just announced days earlier that he has prostate cancer, had this screamed at him by an anti-health reform protester outside one of his town hall events. Two days later, on August 6th, the Fox News anchor Glenn Beck on national television turned the threat of a political assassination into the acting out of a political assassination, when he and one of his staffers wearing a Nancy Pelosi mask role-played what it would be like for Glenn Beck to poison the Speaker of the House of Representatives.
3: I just wanted to—you gonna drink your wine? Are you blind? Do those eyes not work? There you go. I want you to drink it now. Drink it. Drink it. <laughs> Drink it. I, uh, I really just wanted to thank you for having me over here to wine country, you know, to be uh, invited. I thought I had to be a major Democratic donor, a longtime friend of yours, which I'm not. Uh, by the way, I put poison in your no.
12: The day after that, on August 7th, there were more death threats. Congressman Brian Baird of Washington reports that his office received this fax with an image of President Obama with a communist hammer and sickle symbol painted on his forehead and the message, Death to all Marxists, foreign and domestic, written underneath. The day after that, on August 8th, anti-health reform protesters started turning up to Democratic town hall events while armed. In Arizona, a gun is dropped during a meet and greet with Democratic Congressman Gabrielle Giffords. The same day, a man with a concealed gun is escorted out of an event held by Democratic Congressman Steve Cohen of Tennessee. Yesterday, the staff of Democratic Congressman David Scott arrived at their Georgia office to find a four-foot swastika painted across the sign for their office. Congressman Scott says he was also sent an Obama death threat fax similar to the one sent to Brian Baird's office, only this one also addresses Congressman Scott himself, and it uses the N-word. Also yesterday, Democratic Congressman Dennis Moore of Kansas reports that he's received two death threats over the last 10 days. One he describes as a phone call into one of his congressional offices. The other is a threat he says he does not feel comfortable discussing with the media. Yesterday also brought us a healthcare town hall event featuring President Obama himself in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Among the anti-health reform protesters outside the event was a man named William Kostrick who stood outside the presidential event with a loaded handgun strapped to his leg. He was holding a sign at the time that read, quote, it's a time to water, it is time, excuse me, to water the tree of liberty. A reference to Thomas Jefferson's famous words, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. As we noted last night, just for context, when Timothy McVeigh was arrested after the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, he was wearing a T-shirt that had on the front of it a picture of assassinated President Abraham Lincoln, along with the words, sic semper tyrannis. Those were the words shouted by Lincoln's assassin right after he shot him. On the back of McVeigh's t-shirt was the same slogan that William Kostrick paired with his loaded gun at the Obama event yesterday. There's, you can see both the sign and what Tim McVeigh picked out special to be wearing when he got his mugshot taken for having blown up a federal building and killed 168 Americans. At the same event for President Obama in Portsmouth, New Hampshire yesterday, a 62-year-old man named Richard Terry Young was arrested after sneaking past security officials and into Portsmouth High School just a few hours before President Obama was due to arrive. Mr. Young was allegedly carrying a knife when security officers found him, and when they got a warrant and searched his pickup truck, they found a 38 caliber Kel-Tec semi-automatic pistol hidden inside, a bag, hidden inside a bag in his truck with a round in the chamber. Today at a town hall event for Democratic Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, The Hill newspaper reports that one anti-health reform protester stood outside the town hall, quote, with a small handwritten sign, cardboard sign, that read, quote, Death to Obama. The forces against healthcare reform are the same forces that have always been against healthcare reform: the corporate interests that profit from the way things are now, and the politicians who support those co- corporate interests. Healthcare is a multi-trillion-dollar industry, and special interests want to protect what they've got. That is common knowledge. That is politics as usual. What is not politics as usual is that opponents of healthcare reform has chove- have chosen to fight at this time with force and with threats of force. Not just fringe talk show hosts, but members of Congress telling their constituents that Barack Obama is like Hitler. Members of the United States Senate telling their constituents that they are right to be afraid, that healthcare care reform really is a plot to kill the elderly. Corporate funded conservative PR operations promoting those lines of attack and then telling their activists to go put the fear of God into members of Congress. Are we now operating in a political environment which is not just politics as usual, which is not just a rowdy debate? Has enough kerosene been poured on the flames that the possibility of violence, even assassination, is being posited as a real political tactic in the United States? It's not a rhetorical question. It's not even a question about rhetoric, because there are people in this country, people in the healthcare field, in fact, who have faced the actual threat of assassination as a political tactic. Two and a half months ago, Kansas abortion provider Dr. George Tiller was assassinated. And the man who's charged in that case purportedly believed that assassinations were justified because of his own beliefs about abortion. That belief in justified political violence was cultivated by the extreme anti-abortion movement that Scott Roder is known to have had extensive contact with before Dr. Tiller's death. As the anti-health reform protesters flirt with the same exaltation of violence, the same excuses and purported justifications of violence that echo in the extreme anti-abortion movement in this country, it is worth remembering that the possibility of American politics turning to violence and terrorism at the fringe, it's not all theoretical.
4: Obama's going to New Hampshire uh, for a healthcare rally. He knows uh, he thinks the crowd is going to be raucous, and uh, he wants to take opposing questions, etc. But somebody's in the crowd that shouldn't be in the crowd. Now, this guy did not get into the rally. He was waiting outside the rally for Obama. Here's the problem: he had a gun. Now, I mean, I saw this. I'm going to show you the video right now. First thing I thought was my friend Ed Reed. Cannot! Oh no, no, no. All right, now watch. I think they look at the MSNBC, cover, MSNBC covers as far too softly, if you ask me. But but here's the news. Let's watch.
11: But let me clear up one thing. There is a man in the crowd who has a, a gun, a handgun strapped on his on his lower leg. And I asked the chief of police about this. The chief of police says that he, he's, he's, it is legal for him to have the gun as long as it is not concealed. It's a registered weapon. And what's more, the man is on private property, a church ground there at the end of the, the roadway. And the church has apparently given him permission to be there. The police are obviously keeping a close eye on this man. And they're not going to let him get anywhere near the president. And I suspect that he won't be here by the time the president gets here in just a couple of hours time but again for the most part things are very but, peaceful. But, but Ron, Ron they're ha- hang on, hang on a second. They're separated.
4: But, but to be really clear we're seeing the pictures right now you're saying a guy has a gun in the open uh, where we already know are concerns about every president's safety but certainly uh, yes. this historic president the 44th president of the United States and there's there's no... Uh, the guy's just being allowed to stay there is that right?
11: The the chief of police here, I just just asked him because I was amazed by this too, but apparently the law allows this man to be here as long as the gun is not concealed, it is registered to him apparently, and he's on private property this church ground. There's a church right at the the top of the roadway that leads into the high school, and the chief of police said that the the church has given this man permission to be there. Now, the authorities are well aware of him. They're they're, they're keeping a very close eye on him. Um, I'm going to check back again because, of course, this is obviously something that a lot of people are going to be amazed. By, but that's the way the law apparently works here in New Hampshire. Um, I, I will bet you a lot of money, though, that by the time the president gets anywhere near the state of New Hampshire, that this man and his gun will be nowhere near this
4: high school. Uh, you would have lost that bet. Now, I like it. Carlos Watson said, hold on now, let's ask about this a little further. But if it was me, I'd have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, he, wait a minute. All right. Now, look, you tell me that. Uh, Obama's going to come through this area, the president of the United States of America. And they're just going to let this some bitch sit there with a gun, right? They say, "Oh no, don't worry, the secret service is watching." All right, now let's talk about this for a second. Do you think they would have let a guy with a gun anywhere near George W. Bush as he as he was giving a speech anywhere? They wouldn't let people in with the wrong shirts. They're watching their cars. If they had the wrong bumper stickers, they wouldn't let him in. They wouldn't let him anywhere near the vicinity. They'd arrest them. Now, this guy's going to sit there with a gun. You think if he was a left winger waiting for Bush with a gun, that they'd have let him just sit there? Wait a minute. 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 Okay. Hell no, they wouldn't let him sit there. Now, you think, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe. I got a different one for you now you go ahead and tell me that you're you're gonna see this one differently if he was a Muslim with a gun waiting for George W Bush outside a rally you think they're gonna let him sit there and wait and they're gonna talk about concealed weapons or non-concealed weapons or whether it's legal or whether it's private property or whether it's public property you think they're gonna let let a Muslim sit there I don't care if he's Muslim American they're not gonna let him sit there now, of why? Why did they allow this guy to do this? Okay, spare me with a legal bolt. Okay, because first, second amendment rights, second amendment rights. Yeah, I got it, you moron. Listen, do you have a second amendment right? Of course you do. Now, does that mean you can bring a gun onto a plane? No, of course that right has limitations. Look got a second amendment right. I brought a grenade launcher onto a plane. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. You know who believes in the first amendment? More than anyone else, me, my job depends on it. Okay, that doesn't mean I can yell, cry, shout, or, uh, fire in a crowded the theater. Okay, there are limitations to each right. One of the limitations should be you don't get to near, go near the president with a gun. It's a very, very reasonable limitation. It applies to Republicans. It applies for Democrats. When they were going to take away Dick Cheney's Secret Service in six months, I said, "No way, man. If anybody needs Secret Service protection, it's Dick Cheney." No. Look, we gotta be really careful about this stuff. I, I, by the way, I'll answer my own question. That Muslim waiting for Bush with a gun would wind up in Guantanamo Bay and you know it, I know it, everybody knows it, right? Oh now we're talking about the Second Amendment then hey, no one talking about the Second Amendment if the shoe was on the other foot. Now the other part of this is people say, hey no chang, you don't want to give the right wingers and the Rush limbaugh's you know, any uh, cause to talk about this and to use it for propaganda. I don't give a flying f what Rush Limbaugh says. Okay. Oh, Rush Limbaugh is gonna yell at me. F Rush Limbaugh. Oh, that piece of. Who cares what he's gonna say, man? Oh, he's to with my memory. I want to shut the fuck up, you fat fuck. Okay. I mean, no. Why am I so mad about it, right? Because what happens the next time two people show up with guns, and there are many states in the country. Where you can do concealed weapons, and say, "Hey, I'm registered, man." What happens when there's five guys with guns in the crowd, and they say, "Hey, it's all legal." So what? What happens the next time there's 20 guys in the crowd with guns, and they say, "Hey, it's all legal, man. We got our permits and everything." Now you go ahead and try to keep an eye on all of us at the same time. (laughs) Ed, what do you think? cannot What do you, Mike? What do you think? Can't do it. Hell no, man! No way I'm gonna allow that. This is madness. I don't know if they're trying to—they're so scared of the right wing, and that's why I'm so mad at the Rush limbaugh's that they're stoking this fire, that they—you know—that they back away from this, and that they're not giving them the adequate protection in my mind. Oh, or if they're tough guys, but man, if I was in Obama's family, let alone where I am right now, I'd be so mad that they allowed this. No way and then uh, look the other part of it is did you see his sign his sign said it is time to water the tree of liberty you know where that comes from comes from a thomas jefferson quote jefferson said many great things this one you know and the man was leading a revolution but get a load of the quote here and what country can preserve its liberties if its rulers are not warned from time to time that this people preserve the spirit of resistance let them take arms The remedy is to set them right as to the facts, pardon and pacify them. What signify signify a few lives lost in a century or two? The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is natural manure. (laughs) You know what shirt Tim McVeigh was wearing before he bombed the Oklahoma City building? A bleeding tree. Referring to the Tree of Liberty and how it you know the blood of tyrants must cleanse that tree. Now imagine a Muslim guy with a sign that says, I'm going to cleanse the tree of liberty with the blood of tyrants, waiting with a gun for Bush. You think they'll let that guy stand there? You must be a fool if you think so. No, no, no. I don't care what kind of intimidation Rush Limbaugh's got. That guy ain't one last thing on it. They said, "Oh, come on, man, we got our eye on him. He's not gonna cause any trouble." I know that's exactly what they said about Mark David Chapman, right? Well, maybe not exactly, but he came and asked for an autograph from John Lennon just a little while before. Just what could be the harm? He just asked for an autograph. Then he came back and shot. I'm not taking that kind of chance, man and the secret service definitely should not be in the business of taking that kind of check
13: promised a special comment on this terrible moment in American history and those unfortunate and the irresponsible Americans who have brought us to it. The America I know and love, the quitter governor of Alaska Sarah Palin began, is not one in which my parents or my baby with Down syndrome will have to stand in front of Obama's death panel so his bureaucrats can decide, based on a subjective judgment of their level of productivity in society, whether they are worthy of health care. Such a system is downright evil. Of course it is, Ms. Palin, and that is why it does not exist, has not existed, and would never under this president, nor any other president, ever exist in this country. There is no death panel. There is no judgment based on societal productivity. There is no worthiness test. But there is downright evil, and, Ms. Palin, you just served its cause. You shouted fire in a crowded theater, a hot theater, and then today tried to roll it back with, no, no, sorry, not fire, I meant flashlights. Too little, too late, too obvious. Madam, you are a clear and present danger to the safety and security of this nation. Whether the death panel is something you dreamed or something you dreamed up, whether it is the product of a low intellect and a fevered imagination, or the product of a high intelligence and a sober ability to exploit people, you should be ashamed of yourself for having introduced it into the public discourse, and it should debar you for all time from any position of responsibility or trust in the governance of this nation or any of its states or municipalities. But it will not, because a percentage of America does not want explanations nor serious conversation. It wants panic and the guilty thrill of chaos and an excuse to bash skulls and hang people in effigy or not in effigy. Ms. Palin, what in spirit is the difference between this monstrous image of a congressman hanged in effigy and the indefensible smile of pride on that idiot's face and this image? with not one murderer in the mob even feeling the need to hide his face for fear of justice that would never come. They are both, to use your phrase, death panels. Ms. Palin, you might as well have declared that the government is being run by a coven of witches with fake Kenyan birth certificates, and you might as well have told the vast unthinking throng that mistakes your ability to wink for leadership that they should start shooting at Democrats. There'd be no need to tell them to bring the guns. Others have already done that. Somebody left his at an Arizona town hall. And incidentally, madam, you have also forfeited your right to be taken seriously. The next time you claim offense at somebody mentioning your children. You have just exploited your youngest child, dangled him in front of a mindless mob as surely as if you were Michael Jackson. You have used this innocent infant as an excuse to pander to the worst and least of us in this nation. You have used him to create the false image of death panels. The only death panels, Miss Palin, are the figurative ones you have inspired with such irresponsible, dangerous, facile, vile hate speech, the death of common sense, the death of logic, the death, perhaps, of democracy at the hands of mob rule. If someone is hurt in one of these town halls, pro-reform, anti-reform, or most likely, as these things tend to play out in the real life you know so little about, Ms. Palin, if the hurt befalls an innocent bystander, you will have contributed to that harm. You might very well become, Ms. Palin, the very thing you have sought to create in the lurid imaginations of those spoiling for a fight, waiting for an excuse, looking for a rationalization of their own hatred, their own racism, their own unwillingness to accept democracy. You, Ms. Palin, may Yet become the de facto chairman of a death panel. Your higher calling, Ms. Palin. God forgive you, Ms. Palin. It is hardly all Sarah Palin. She is, in fact, a relative newcomer to the orgy of fantasized violence and imagined revolution whose fires have been stoked for weeks, for months, for years by conservatives, but more often by mere mercenaries, men and women who believe nothing who are in it for the game, or the profit, or the sheer kick of bending masses to their will. Glenn Beck, who recoils when somebody actually readies for an attack on one of the FEMA internment camps he so cavalierly invented, who so cowers at the thought that he might get blamed or might lose some of his precious and well-earned gold, that he actually has to plead with his viewers not to become new Timothy McVeighs. Glenn Beck says that, and then comes back three days later and jokes about poisoning the Speaker of the House. It is irresistible to you, isn't it? It's the same thrill of irresponsibility, of caveman thought, of the drug addict who suddenly and joyously cares nothing about self-restraint. Sobered momentarily into realizing the prospective outline of the horrible shape at the horizon, soldiers wounded, shooter says she was liberating, FEMA camp says she saw Glenn Beck tell her to rise up and fight back awakened to the idea that words you say on television have consequences which you cannot necessarily control. You plead, you almost cry for nonviolence and yet within 72 hours the thrill again rises up in your blood and you cannot resist it. You must fantasize about murder and by the very action of speaking it aloud you enable others to join you in this Neanderthalian ritual of violence to overcome the enemy. Whether the enemy is real or imagined or whether the enemy really isn't an enemy at all, And it's just your neighbor with a different point of view, who wants to talk about it, wants to involve you in the decision, even though it is his turn to steer and not yours, and even though you both know that someday our system will give you another turn to steer. But ranting and crying and playing with toys on television does not work if you are advocating compromise and dialogue and thought. It works only for a -a mountebank making the promise of magic and power with the underlying inherent threat of carnage and chaos. And now you add you believe death panels are real, an idea so insane, which mainlines so directly back to the mercenary fantasies of the pathetic Betsy McCoy, that even Sarah Palin backed quickly away from them. But what a scare tactic, the big lie in the flesh, your dream come true, which is probably why, Mr. Beck, we have not lately heard much of your 912 groups, because there you had the germ of an idea, exploitative, perhaps. But at its core, beneficial, calming, unifying, thoughtful, restore the sense of September 12, 2001, not of dread or threat, but of collaboration, meeting in the middle somewhere, standing together under one flag and trying to improve the conditions of all Americans. And then somebody from your 912 group told its members they should all go to the health care reform town hall in Tampa and break it up and shout down anybody who disagreed with them and scuffle with the police and demand not discourse, but disaster. Your work, Mr. Beck, your contribution to this. God forgive you. There are other instigators free in the land, nearly all of them in effect untrue believers, men intelligent enough to work their way up the political ladder in this country into the Senate of this nation, and yet suddenly foolish enough, or suddenly opportunistic enough, like Mr. Cornyn of Texas, to float conspiracy theories about the White House using health care reform to try to compile an enemies list, one email address at a time. When four years ago this same senator was saying that the previous White House's pernicious, warrantless, illegal consumption of everybody's email address and everybody's email and everybody's websites, that was def- defensible and justifiable because, quote, none of your civil liberties matter much after you're dead. And now pushing is Mr. Cornyn, the supposedly independent analysis of the proposed health care reform by the Lewin Group, that 119 million people would have to change their insurance. Mr. Cornyn not knowing, or being paid not to know, that the Lewin Group is wholly owned by an insurance company, the way the Lewin Group gave Mr. Boehner and Mr. Cantor $60,000 apiece. Wholly owned! Then there are the birthers, laughable from the moment they opened their mouths, proffering a conspiracy that somehow began with the placement of birth notices in two Hawaiian newspapers 48 years ago this month. But people who do not want this president to be president will believe anything. And that is meat for fading commentators like Lou Dobbs, whatever he actually believes, because the birther movement touches another essential part of the defective soul, the need for an excuse. For they need to convince themselves in an immense conspiracy to place that conviction as a barrier between their actions and the sad reality that they are not the victims of intricate machinations against freedom, but that they are just garden-variety, ordinary racists that they can handle the most limited of integration only in theory. It will take anything that will let them pretend that, when they burst into tears and cry that they want their America back, they are not asking for white power, not asking that somebody make the black man in the White House go away. There are other instigators, of course, so obvious, so careless, knowing so well that anybody who desperately wants to believe lies will not even notice the truth standing next to them wearing a big red neon sign. Like the just-a-mom from a few blocks away at the Wisconsin Town Hall, who didn't think anybody might Google her name and find out she was really the ex-vice chairman of the county GOP and part of the campaign of the Republican who lost to the Democrat, whose town hall she was at that moment helping to disrupt. Or like the smooth-talking hospital corporate titan, spreading millions around to enable the hate, knowing that none of the haters will ever realize nor care that they have become prostitutes for the health care industries. Like the people who propagated this widely cut and pasted, quote, line-by-line analysis of the Healthcare Reform Act, one that saves right-wingers the trouble of actually reading the bill or thinking about it. This is where the fictions come from, that this is funding ACORN, that it guarantees free health care for illegal immigrants, that it mandates abortions, demands euthanasia. If you read it without knowing the truth, you might shove the right-wingers out of the way at the town halls and start screaming yourself. It seems to have been created by the Liberty Council, an offshoot of Jerry Falwell's Liberty University, a council whose other big policy concern has been the attack on Christmas. Maybe there is the most brazen of them all, that man at the town hall in Connecticut wearing the We Don't Want government-run health care sign above his head while wearing his Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield shirt. You might think it was because he was too stupid to wear something a little less corporately slavish, but given what those around him have read, they not only wouldn't care, they might even take comfort from that logo that he could boast and that they could hate under the auspices of an actual caring, friendly, ruthless insurance company. My words, of course, are nothing to Mr. Anthem or Mr. Cornyn or Mr. Dobbs or Ms. Blish or Mr. Scott or the others. This is a job to them. And since we have placed a price tag on everything in this country, there is no soul searching involved. You have a job. If it involves stirring up frightened people to defend the corporation against the citizen, well you have a salary to earn and a family to feed. The same rationalization that enables mob hitmen to sleep at night. But somewhere in those crowds are genuinely angry and scared people, people who listen to Cornyn or Dobbs or fantasize with Beck about poisoning their way to a Democrat-free world, or who salivate like Pavlovian dogs at the sound of the shrill whistle from Sarah Death Panel Palin. Somewhere in those crowds are some actual people with some actual brains still working and thinking and evaluating. For God's sakes, trust your instinct to think. There are no death panels. could never be. Were there any steps taken towards them, I and 99.9 percent of the people in this country, from the fiercest liberal to the most apolitical blob, would be standing next to you preventing their creation. There are no plans to take your insurance away from you. There will be no rationing of care. There will be no health choices commissioner, and he will not be able to transfer money electronically out of your bank account. There will be nobody coming into your house and telling you what to eat. There'll be no euthanasia, and the people to whom you are listening with half an ear are telling you half the truth on a good day. The euthanasia scare comes from something as benign as a proposal to let you put in for insurance if you have to consult a doctor about what to do if you or a loved one are fatally ill. If you are where I was last March when I sat down with the doctors to talk about my mother, fatally ill, not awake, not aware, The health care reform will now pay you back for the doctor's fee for that conversation. And it will pay you whether you decide to let your loved one go or you insist to the doctor that they keep that dear one alive at all costs to treat them for months or years or decades more. And this part of this bill actually was originally co-sponsored by a Republican congressman. And from that caring bipartisan starting point, through her own paranoia or for her own political gains, Sarah Palin has invented the bogeyman of death panels. Think. Please, think before something horrible happens. As you move to bellow that which you know not to be true, as you try to shout down a congressman who is there to answer your concerns, as, God forbid, you think there's been enough talking and not enough of something else, think of how Lincoln closed his first inaugural address. And remember that wise words stand the test of time. If it were admitted that you who are dissatisfied hold the right side in the dispute, there is still no single good reason for precipitate action. Intelligence, patriotism, Christianity, and a firm reliance on him who has never yet forsaken this favored land are still competent to adjust, in the best way, all our present difficulty. In your hands, my dissatisfied fellow countrymen, and not in mine, is this momentous issue. The government will not assail you. You can have no conflict without being you yourselves the aggressors. We are not enemies but friends. We must not be enemies. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. The mystic chords of memory, stretching from every battlefield and patriot grave to every living heart and hearthstone all over this broad land will yet swell the chorus of the union when again touched, as surely they will be, by the better angels of our nature.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. First of all, I just have to give a huge, huge thanks to everyone who wrote in reviews on and around August 20th. It was absolutely hands down a smashing success. My goal was about 100 reviews, 100 reviews in one day. Let's do it. And at the end of August 20th or at the very latest, the morning of the 21st, we'd received about 180 brand new five-star reviews so blew away my expectations and i just couldn't appreciate it more and boy did you guys have some nice things to say i read every one of them and um, of course it always feels good to to get positive feedback like that so of course the point was to get the attention of the people in the itunes store so i sent them a message in the only way that i knew how To alert them to the fact that there was this basically a letter-writing campaign directed at them trying to get their attention and now we wait. Fingers crossed everybody but we know we did our job and we just have to hope that iTunes responds. Now as part of this August 20 campaign I wrote up an email that that went out on, on the morning of the 20th to remind people to vote obviously many of you listening didn't get that email because you haven't signed up for the newsletter. Don't, you know, no offense taken. But while writing that, I, I thought it would be helpful if I kind of helped get people's creative juices flowing and I was going to write out a, a sample review of my own. And so as I was thinking about how to describe the show, of course I came across the classic um, It's the best thing since sliced bread. And my very next thought after that was the best thing since sliced bread really implies that it's not as good as sliced bread. But it also implies that sli- sliced bread is so fantastic that it it's really absurd to even aspire to be as good as sliced bread. And I thought to myself, you know, if I had a choice between having to cut all of my own bread for the rest of my life, but get to... Well, in my case, I'd produce the show, but if I didn't produce it, you can damn well bet I'd be a listener. It'd be my favorite show. I love the show. So if I had to cut all my own bread, but I got to keep listening to this show, I think I'd take that deal. I mean, I wouldn't like to be forced into that position, but I think it's pretty obvious. This show's better than sliced bread. Now, it's possible that you're going to have a different opinion on that, and, you know, we can have a rational discussion and agree to disagree about that. But uh, I felt that was a little bit of a revelation. So now, anyways, I just want to quickly thank members who are helping to keep the show going. Brian I, member number 20, signed up on uh, July 11th. And Edward M, member number 32, joined up on July 30th. Thanks to both of you guys so much for your support. Members, of course, uh, donate... You know, they, they sign up to, uh, to automatically donate a paltry minimum of $5 a month. They probably don't even notice it's gone, but it's a huge help to me. It helps uh, keep the show being produced twice a week now, as opposed to before the members uh, came in, and uh, and the show was only going once a week. So thanks to the members for helping the, keep the show going twice a week, and members get access to the wonderful Best of the Left Raw feed. I actually saw in some of the comments that people wished that the podcast was in video form, and maybe they didn't know that that's exactly what the Raw feed is. Anyone new to the show may not realize that members have access to the Raw feed, which is all the clips for the show as I find them, so they come out a little bit more timely been waiting for the shows to be produced and in the case of video or TV shows that I pull from you actually get the video version of the show so I've made a habit of about once or twice a week I end up dumping somewhere between 10 and 15 clips into the raw feed and about three quarters of those end up being videos so members who are subscribed to the raw feed get all these clips as they come as I find them and download them to their computer and watch them there, watch on their video iPod or iPhone or anything like that. It all works. All the info for signing up for a membership is on the website, bestofleft.com. And that's it for today. So stay connected with the show on Twitter and Facebook and our plain old non social networky email newsletter. Support the show with reviews in iTunes, of course, and votes in Podcast Alley. While you're at the website, finding links to all those things, you might as well go ahead and fill out our short listener survey, give uh, anonymous feedback about the show, anything you want to tell us, that's a great place to do it, and it's a great way for us to learn about our listeners. The show is available direct to your smartphone by going to stitcher.com and find out everything about this show and all of our previous shows in the show notes on our blog. Find links to all the sources and the music used in this episode. So coming to you from inside the beltway and border, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, DC, my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of Left podcast delivered to you every Wednesday and every weekend, thanks to the members from Bestofleft.com. Right. on a sheet.
5: The only maker that you wanna meet. out any open door, this is not my life, it's just a fond farewell to a friend, it's not what I'm like.